0: Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Whether you work for government or industry, we're here to help you understand just a little more about how the other side thinks. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. Skyway's team of former CEOs and industry pros will help make you more prepared, more competitive, and more effective in the government market. Visit skywaymember.com to learn more. Today, we welcome back... Wendy Freeman, to talk about the difference between cost and price. So let's get started with my discussion with Wendy. If you're not in the government world, in your your personal life, cost and price, those words seem to mean the same thing, and they're used interchangeably. But in the government world, cost and price are, are different things.
1: In the government world, the cost is what we're actually going to expend to get the work done, the labor and the supplies and the travel and all those things. And the price is what the customer is going to pay. Um, And then there's a delta between the two and that delta is the profit or fee um, that that the provider of those services or goods gets to keep. That sounds very elementary but there's a lot of people involved in government contracting, certainly on the industry side, I suspect on the government side, who don't really always appreciate those distinctions.
0: Yeah, and I think on the government side, the terms are – they sometimes use interchangeably as well. Not correctly, but but interchangeably because people that aren't deeply involved in the, the pricing or, or the finance side still don't understand that, Those words, it's a little bit different on the on government side than it is when you're when you're buying something at the mall.
1: Yeah, and you know one of the ways that's reflected is that we will get RFPs, we will receive RFPs that call for sometimes a cost proposal and sometimes a price proposal. (laughs) Right, but it's actually almost always a price proposal.
0: Yeah, that's what they want. That's not what they say, though. So let's talk about where that comes from. FAR 31-201-1 defines cost. And I'm not going to read every word because it gets pretty deep. 31-201-1A says the total cost of a contract is the sum of the direct and indirect costs allocable to the contract incurred or to be incurred plus some other credits and debits in there. B, 201-1B, says, while the total cost of a contract includes all costs properly allocable to the contract, the allowable costs to the government are limited to those allocable costs which are allowable pursuant to FAR Part 31 and other agency supplements. So what it's telling you there is all of the costs that go into you doing business are added up. Some of those costs you're not allowed to charge the government, such as lobbying costs, and we talked about that in a separate episode about pricing, but there's some costs that are counterproductive if the government let you charge them back to the government, such as lobbying the government to get work. Let me walk through the basic cost elements that go into any type of contract work. First is direct labor, and this is the actual salary of the employees that are involved in doing the work. Then there's overhead costs and general administrative costs. These are the costs of management of the back office support functions, usually, of the buildings that people work in, the electricity that they use, of the computers, the laptops that they carry around, company phones, those kind of things. Also included, other direct costs. These are materials that you have to buy in order to perform the requirements of the contract. Travel is another cost element. If you need to travel specifically to support the contract that you're working on, that travel can be charged directly to the contract. Last element on the cost side that I want to talk about is subcontracts. You may have simple subcontracts. You may have large subcontracts that are actually a huge portion of the overall work where you need to provide support to the subcontract costs in addition to your own costs. So now that I've gone through all the cost elements, that last piece that you talked about, Wendy, is profit. And when you add profit to the rest, you get price. Correct. Now, Wendy, you're a proposal manager. So are you dealing with cost or price during the proposal phase?
1: During the proposal phase, we are involved with the price. Now, cost is one of the things that gets us to the price. But the output of my work is the price. And from my perspective, because as a proposal manager, once the contract's been awarded, I'm off working on the next thing. (laughs) From From my perspective, oh, the cost thing after execution starts, that's easy stuff. All you just have to do is track all of that, right? The difficult thing from my perspective is, figuring out what the cost is going to be before execution has started. Because everybody knows that stuff happens along the way. And and if you put in the cost of every possible contingency of supplies not arriving on time, of people leaving to take other jobs, of a management shakeup, of all kinds of other things that could increase your cost you put all of that into your cost, you're never going to be competitive. <laughs> but we know that a bunch of that stuff happens. So how do you estimate in advance? It's difficult.
0: So before we get deeper into that, I, let, let me link this back. We usually talk acquisition time zones and execution time zones. So we're talking during the, the RFP zone here is where you're estimating the cost and you're, you're building that up. During the source selection zone, that's where the government – is evaluating your price versus everyone else's price, and that's what you're saying is, if if you've done this wrong, if you've if you've added too many unknowns, if you've added costs to cover the risk of all these unknowns, you're probably not going to win during the source selection phase. But then after that, once the contract's awarded, we move into the execution time zones, and this is where it's just like you said, easy to track should be easy to track if you have approved accounting systems, or even if you're a small business using QuickBooks or something like that. Tracking costs is one thing, but executing according to the cost that was estimated during the proposal phase, that's where the challenge is. So let's talk uh, uh, just a minute about that, that estimation.
1: This really is a challenge, and very often on the industry side, for reasons that I have never understood, the people who are developing the technical approach do not get engaged in the cost. Or the price. And and often somebody who's writing up a task, writing up the technical approach for a task, if they're asked how long is it going to take and what materials and supplies is it going to take and how many hours it's going to take, they just look at you blankly. And I'm scratching my head <laughs> wondering how somebody can write about it if they don't know how much it's going to cost. But it happens a lot. And so then there's a small number of people in a little bubble trying to figure out what it's going to take to get the work done. But it's not necessarily the same people who are crafting the technical approach. And that's a very serious disconnect.
0: And it's interesting because on the government side, there's people evaluating what's what's been written, like the blank stare that you just – talked about is somehow translated into words that says, we think it'll take this much time and these materials in order to do this job. The government side, the evaluators are looking at it and they're trying to figure out whether that is a realistic estimate. Where do they get that information from? Well, it's not as easy. Well, I I was going to say it's not as easy as it sounds, but it doesn't sound easy at all. Correct. If you're on the government side, you may be involved in many different acquisitions and unlike the companies proposing who are experts in what they're proposing in most cases the government folks may not have the background in all these things if if you're on four different source selections over over the course of time you could be buying four completely different things that you have some experience in but not the complete depth that the offerers have and you're asked to judge whether or not it's realistic the way that's usually done is based on other programs that are similar. It, it's a real bind if this is something that brand new that's never been done before. Then both sides are talking about risk and how much risk is included in the proposal.
1: Yes, and and before we talk about risk, just to elaborate a little bit on how it normally works in industry, there's two competing pressures. The first is a bottom-up estimate. And that is sort of a pure engineering estimate. In a perfect world, we would want the, all these resources. Once, once we have that bottom up, then there's top-down pressures. And somebody knows that the market will only bear a certain price.
0: And by the market will bear, that could mean that the government only has this much money in the budget.
1: That That's correct. Or it just could be that, Everybody knows there's a going rate for a systems administrator for a certain, you know, type or level of system, and, and you're not going to pay any more than that. So that's the, that's the top-down pressure, and there's that sweet spot in the middle where you've got your bottom-up and you've got your top-down, and there should be someplace in the middle that's the winning competitive price, but you can tell from this description that there's a lot of judgment. And a lot of knowledge that goes into that.
0: And part of that judgment is the judgment of risk, the risk of unknowns, all those other things that could come in during the execution phase of the contract, all those things that probably won't happen but might happen. And if they do, we need to include some costs in our estimate to take care of those risks. The real battle on the proposal side is how many of those risks do you price into your proposal? How much of them? without driving your price so high that you can't win.
1: And do you put them in as additional cost? In other words, you add extra hours in your cost buildup or extra materials, or you run your schedule out longer, which by definition is going to cost more, or do you prepare for it by adding to your fee or your profit? Because, fee is not just what the company wants to earn in terms of profit. Part of what goes into that fee is the uncertainty as to what might happen. If there's vague things in the RFP and you don't really understand the complexity of it, you might add to your fee to protect yourself from some of those contingencies.
0: Right, right. And we'll stay out of the different contract types and how those go into this equation. <laughs> we'll, we'll stay away from that piece of it and just keep it onto the the cost and price discussion. There are many different ways to factor in risk. And on the government side, they have to account for that risk as well. When the government's evaluating a proposal, if if you've built the risk in via hours, some of those hours may be explicit. That that you've called out that we think it's going to be this much to do it, but we've put a factor, a 1.2 factor onto that to account for the unknowns or account for the risk. And the government can clearly see that, hey, they think there's, there's some problems here or potential problems here, so it's a little more price. We think that's a fair way to think about it. Also, you could just add some more hours without explicitly calling it out. Throw, it, throw in a few extra hours here and there to cover those risks. and, the, and for that, the government doesn't have quite the same insight into, into what you're thinking.
1: Yes, that's right. And those I mean those types of things aren't usually documented in our proposal. There's documentation behind the scenes of why that fee is getting jacked up another two or three or four percent. But that isn't the kind of thing that industry wants to be transparent about in the proposal because it's basically an admission that we don't know, (laughs) right? Why would we want to advertise that?
0: It's that sweet spot between saying, yes, we recognize that there's some risk and we've accounted for it in our proposal. And holy crap, we have no idea what we're doing. So we doubled our estimate. (laughs) We doubled the estimated hours to get there.
1: Right, or, or we added a huge amount of fee. So there is some natural tensions there. And a, a kind of a related one that, that we haven't really talked about is just on the industry side, there's a very small number of people involved in this cost-price discussion because of the sensitivity of the information. It's highly competitive. If companies lose the audit trail in terms of who knows about their wrap rate um, and their price for a given proposal. That's a really bad competitive intelligence breakdown, um, and they're compromised. And also, just internally within the company, it's sensitive information because it very often reveals people's salaries.
0: Usually you hold those pretty tight yeah. uh, for for obvious reasons uh, in the government world it's weird because everyone knows within a certain range what people make right. so you know every, everyone knows uh, w- uh, the dif- you know the difference in potential salary between a gs9 and a gs10 and an 11 and a 12 on the industry side, salaries vary wildly based on what you can negotiate for the job so it, it is usually held very closely.
1: Right. And so it's it's held close by a small number of people. And those are usually more senior people than the people working on the technical side. I mean, somebody who's working on the price is going to be at a higher level than the person preparing the resumes and the past performance. So what does that mean? That means those people are busier and they're doing more stuff. And (laughs) there's more competition for their time. And they have less time to devote to the price proposal. So that's why all that stuff always comes in late. Even the best run proposal, the pricing information comes in at the very end and we're all scrambling around. And it hasn't always kept pace with what's going on in the technical side because of the people who are doing it. They're higher level and they're not as engaged.
0: That's a great point the folks that are building up the hours and the materials and everything because they don't have access to exactly how much some of these things are are going to cost sometimes you get to the end of the line and and the price that that the total price that you've built up is way more than what's realistically going to be able to to win and then you have to go back in the loop and you have to tell these people we can't support that price you need to cut here and here but they don't they don't necessarily know which cuts would have the biggest impact to the price. So it's painful when you get to that at the very end of the proposal process.
1: And just like if you want to look at it at a much more mechanical level, it creates all sorts of um, possibilities for last-minute errors. For example, senior management will come in and say, we we have to get the price down by $100,000, swap out these two people with these other two people. Well, that makes perfect sense, (laughs) you know, if the other two people cost less money and they can actually get the job done. But that ripples all throughout the proposal, right? We talk about people in our technical approach. Those two people might've been named. We have those two people's resumes. We have, you know, manpower loading charts that have names and hours. Those tables have to be changed. So you can see how a last-minute decision to cut the price, which is perfectly justified from a competitive standpoint, makes the proposal manager's life hell because <laughs> it involves
0: it ripples through the whole proposal. And yeah, it rolls rolls through everything.
1: Yeah, and that's why I try to see it um, as an organic whole, and I try to make sure that the um, the senior technical person who is working the proposal is also fully informed of what's going on, on, on the pricing side because they're, they are tied together. And if somebody just wants to live in one world, we're going to have a problem at the end. It's almost (laughs) guaranteed.
0: I totally agree. Let me go back and talk about why it's so important to explain what that reduction is. So what I mean, top management comes in and says, We need to be $100,000 lower. Well, in in private industry where when you're submitting a bid for something and the customer doesn't get insight into all that goes into the bid, you can just say, take $100,000 off because all they care about is that end price. If the government is evaluating things at the cost level and you go in and you say, well, we built up the cost. The price that we're proposing is this amount, and then we lopped $100,000 off because we thought that that would help us win. The government needs to understand where that $100,000 is coming from. You you can say, oh, it's a management challenge. I've, I've heard that term many times. Yeah, we're just going to magically come in at less cost. We'll figure it out. But that doesn't go over so well with government evaluators. So when management comes at the last minute and has a a top level, it must be reduced by this much. The entire proposal then has to be readjusted to make that reduction seem credible. To you know, you you don't see it was this much and then it came down to this much. You're actually now building up to that lower number in a way that is supported so the government evaluators can tie it all together from from the, the very beginning of the build up to the end.
1: And in point of fact, there's only so many stories you can tell around that reduction, <laughs> right? I, I mean, <laughs> you know, you can say um, we're going to use more junior people in the out years, the whole greening thing. I mean, uh, it, yeah, right? It, and, and actually, I think most of those stories have already been told and that the only way to really skin this cat and, and to really be competitive is... To have good information, know what the customer is talking about, so that when there's vague language in the RFP, you can interpret it with confidence and lower right. the amount of uncertainty. Yeah, that's how that's you a protect great... from risk. Is is you have the information and you know the customer, and that's the only real way to win. Uh, otherwise, you're left. Trying to basically shoot in the dark and do these hundred thousand dollar reductions that, you know, you're not going to have a very good story around anyway, but, but you still think you need to do them.
0: Right. And that, that's a great point to, to bring that sort of full circle. The more clarity in the RFP, the more communication back and forth between industry and government so that those uncertainties are eliminated to the greatest extent possible, the more credible price across the board that contractors are going to offer to the government in, in any competition. The uncertainties that the government leaves in the RFP come back to them in the end in higher prices.
1: Exactly. And I have had that happen where the government has marked up the price and we have become non-competitive because of the stuff that we left out in the interest of submitting a more competitive price.
0: Okay, that's a good place to wrap it up before I get too deep into other topics that aren't very specific to the difference between cost and price. So thanks so much for joining me today, Wendy, and I'll talk to you soon.
1: Yeah, looking forward to it.
0: That's it for this episode of the Contracting Officer Podcast. Thanks to our sponsor, Skyway Acquisition, and thanks to Wendy Freeman for spending the time with us. We use your feedback to drive the topics on the podcast and to try to make it more useful for everyone. So please send your questions, comments, and complaints to me at paul at Thanks for joining us.